Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, August 12th, 2020. We're going to continue tonight with our Godly Sorrow series, and you're going to want to brace yourself for what we're about to bring to you. We are now moving towards something. If you heard the prophecies during our worship time, if you understand what the Lord is about to do, you have to brace yourself for what you're about to learn tonight. As you're turning in your word to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 10. Somebody say godly sorrow when you get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Church, with what we're studying here in Second Corinthians 7, we've been very deliberate, very intentional about going through one item at a time. Have you been meditating on these principles, church? Yes. Have you been starting to get them down in your soul, church? Because when we talk about earnestness, it is a diligent, urgent effort that you are producing from your own life. you got to start there. That's your first step. You begin by turning your heart to the very center of the matter. You're not running around trying to deal with the periphery. You find the heart of the matter and you're going after it with diligent, urgent, speedy effort in everything that you're doing. Somebody say earnestness. Earnestness. This earnestness is to speedily move you to eagerness, having actions that act as a defense or plea to clear yourself of the stain, to deny yourself of the self-defense and take up the divine defense. Do you guys remember this? Then we move on to indignation. Look at the definition, the LCM definition of indignation. To be under a great burden that results in indignation for sin. That great burden that we talked about is you have to have the word put upon your shoulders. You have to have the spirit put upon you. You are designed to carry holy things and you must be carrying those. When you have that great burden placed upon you rightly, then you have a hatred for sin that develops. Man, we've got to hate sin. Somebody say hate sin. Hate sin. By having indignation at work in our lives through godly sorrow. We have these three put into a, a, a chiastic chart that I want to show to you next. We've been looking at this every single week. We want to make sure that this is well ingrained in your mind as we're going through Second Corinthians chapter 7. We have the earnestness, the eagerness, the indignation, and there in the middle is the pinnacle of what all these things are aiming at. What is that one at the very bottom in the middle? Alarm. This has been a progression of what God has been aiming us at this entire time. This indicates that there's alarm being a focal point of the entire process. In fact, it is a turning point by which you then are are then be elevated. We're going to study this word tonight. We're going to see it throughout the scriptures. But more importantly, we're going to see it within our own lives. So what exactly does this alarm look like? I can give you some hints that it starts by when you go through this chiastic structure. You got to humble yourself. Everybody say humble humble yourself. You're talking to yourself when you say that too. See, humbling yourself through turning in an urgent, diligent manner is going to progress you through this this, uh, progress. Humbling yourself through divinely directed actions that defend your godly sorrow is going to bring you through the right process in this chiastic structure. 
humbling yourself through a hatred of sin that begins by taking on the correct burden of God's word, God's spirit, and the holy things that are beyond your shoulders and you're designed to carry are going to bring you to this point of alarm in this chiastic structure. See, when we have indignation for sin and alarm, that is what is going to lead us to salvation. Do you want to understand your salvation a little bit better? Amen. Church, do you see this on your slide here? How you are supposed to descend. The point of what we're doing, the goal, the focal point of the entirety of what we have is tonight. It is this message, and it's on alarm. Because if you have been descending rightly in humility, getting away from the things that you want to do, and following this process, it is going to produce something in you. It's going to produce alarm, and it's the key to unlocking these other pieces. It is a key that is here, but you can't skip straight to this step. You've got to descend in humility. You have to lower yourself. You have to humble yourself that you can rightly understand what alarm really is. Do y'all want to know what alarm really is? Let me show you the next slide. Let me tell you what that word alarm is in the Greek. The word alarm there is phobos. That's the actual Greek word. You can see it there. I've even highlighted a few of the terms that I want you to be able to focus on. Fear. Somebody say fear. Fear. Terror. Say terror. Terror. And reverence. Say reverence. Reverence. Boy, the the one that we like to think about when we start talking about fear as it relates to the Lord is a proper reverence. That is true. That is absolutely what we're going to talk about tonight is the fear of the Lord. But can I tell you, as we begin, as we start out, it's more than just a proper reverence. It's more than you just being appropriately quiet when you're supposed to. There is a fear and a terror of the Lord that you are supposed to have. Can I encourage you tonight before we get any deeper in the scripture? That not only is Jesus Christ the lamb that was slain for your sins, but he stands here now as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Do you just reverence a lion or do you actually have fear of a lion that we're standing before you? The truth is, is if in, even if you're in a zoo, even if they're captive, they've got something about a lion that when he roars, it shakes you to your core. Yeah, you can't believe that one animal can produce that much sound, that much fear in you, and he's behind multiple cages. See, but the lion that we're talking about tonight cannot be caged. Dude. He cannot be held back. This is the lion that we are talking about, and we must have a right fear of the Lord. Say fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord. Church, you don't play around with reverence with the lion. You have to have some fear in you lest you be injured. Lest you not be able to stand before him. Can you outrun a lion? Can you out use your strength to outpower a lion? No, you just better hope that that lion is on your side. Amen. That should produce the right kind of fear. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 together as we begin to look at the fear of the Lord as it relates to the alarm that was given in 2 Corinthians 7. Deuteronomy 6 and 1. Say fear of the Lord when you get there. Deuteronomy 6 1 says this. These are the commands, decrees, and laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Who's speaking here, church? Moses is speaking here. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you 
to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, somebody say, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. Your children. Somebody say, he's talking to my kids too. He's talking to my kids too. And their children. Man, the Lord is even speaking to your grandchildren here in this moment. To the generations. You better listen to what he's saying. The reason that you have the laws of the Lord, the reason that you have commands and decrees, it's so that as you are crossing into a promised land, as you are crossing from death into life, that there's something that may happen for you and your generations. It's that you may fear the Lord out of all the things that Moses could have said here. That, That you may prosper. Yes, he'll get to that. The very first thing that Moses says about the reason that you've been given laws and decrees and the very word of the Lord is so that you may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. You don't age out of this. You don't get mature enough where you mature your way out of this. This is something that was supposed to be in us as long as you are alive. And if you have the right fear of the Lord, then you can keep all his decrees and commands that you've been given. And, somebody say and, that you can enjoy long life. See, there's a blessing that's here because Moses has been directed to teach his people something. It's the same words that we're reading today. For you and your children and their children through the generations. This has got to be just more than us. If you really have a fear of the Lord, it's going to transmit beyond just you in your generation. Come on. So that you may fear the Lord. Then you're going to be able to keep His commands. Then you're going to be able to enjoy a long life. But you can't try to keep the commands. You can't enjoy a long life until you start with the fear of the Lord. This is the apex. This is the center. This is the point of our chiastic structure in 2 Corinthians 7. Come on, do you want to learn more about this? Absolutely. Somebody say, fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. Say, fear the Lord when you get there. We're going to see this in the prophets. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Mentioned back to back in between these verses. How central is the fear of the Lord? It's everything. See, what Isaiah 11 is, it's a messianic prophecy. It's speaking of the stump of Jesse. It's branch bearing up and being able to display all these facets of the Spirit of the Lord. And the one that it concludes with and then reiterates is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. That from this house of David, from this tribe of Judah, from the nation of Israel, would come one whom God's Spirit would rest upon. What a hope it is for Israel to have a Messiah that has stood on this earth. What a hope it is for us Gentiles to participate in that same hope. And these very things that rest on his shoulders, guess what? It can rest on our shoulders. It leads to having a sevenfold spirit of God that ends with the fear of the Lord and produces a delight in the fear of the Lord. Oh, it's not oppressive at all. It's not burdensome. It is a life-giving spiritual 
Holy Ghost power that sits upon our shoulders. It's a hope that resurrects us. That where we have delight in the fear of the Lord. And tonight we're going to learn more about it. We're going to learn how to walk in it. We're going to learn how to trust it. We're going to see it come alive in our daily life. And it not just be a phrase within the word of God. But it be the word of God inside of us. Church, we don't have to ask you if you need more fear of the Lord. That's not a question that I have to ask of you tonight because we all already know the answer. I want to show you a slide with just a few things that the fear of the Lord and what it does in your life. Just a few. In Psalm 2, it defines how you're supposed to serve. You're supposed to Lord serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in Him with trembling. Fear and trembling. Somebody say fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Boy, that sounds like it's more than just reverence, doesn't it? Sounds like it's the right kind of fear of the Lord. It's pure and enduring in Psalm 19. You can listen and learn about and learn how to walk in the fear of the Lord. Isn't that great? Somebody say, that's great. That's great. That you can actually learn what the fear of the Lord is. That's what we're going to bring to you tonight. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It displays hatred when you do not choose to pursue the fear of the Lord. That's what Proverbs 1 says. It shows that you hate God, you hate knowledge, you hate wisdom when you do not actively pursue the fear of the Lord. You've got to search after it. The fear of the Lord hates evil in Proverbs 8. It adds length to your life in Proverbs 10. It is the fountain of life in Proverbs 14. It's better to have little with fear of the Lord than to have great wealth in your life without it. Proverbs 15 goes on to say that the fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. The fear of the Lord helps you to avoid evil. It hates it and it helps you to avoid it. Proverbs 19 says it leads to life. Proverbs 22 says the fear of the Lord brings honor. Proverbs 23 tells you that you must be zealous if you have the fear of the Lord. Just a little bit important, right? There's nothing on this list that you should want to ignore and not have present in your life. Let's turn to the very first one that we have listed there. Let's turn to Psalm 2. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. It's going to bring you life. It's going to bring you long life. It's going to add wisdom. It's going to teach you knowledge. It's going to show you how to avoid evil. The fear of the Lord. Look at what Psalm 2 and verse 10 says. Therefore, you kings, you better be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Church, if we only keep the idea of the Lord as the Lamb, isn't that what the modern Christianity wants to do? Only make Him the Lamb. Only make Him the one that loves you and is begging for you to come towards Him. We need Psalm 2 in our life that says, you better pay attention to what's going on. You better get yourself straight before this great King that we have. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Even when you're dancing, you realize that you're before a holy king. You realize that you're before the God of all creation. Yes, he loves you like a father, but he's still king. You got to have the fear of the Lord at work in you. Why would you want to have only part of who the Lord is? Yes, he's a loving 
God. But he is the one that you are to fear. Listen to the next verse. Kiss the son lest he get angry with you. And you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. If we're walking through godly sorrow from earnestness to eagerness to indignation, when you start to hate your sin, you know what hating your sin starts to make you do? Realize that he could have burned you the whole time. Man, he hates, does he hate sin as much as I do? No, he hates it much more than you do. Are are you saying that he might punish me? Yes. You got to fear him. You got to understand, you better kiss him lest he be angry with you and destroy you in your way. Somebody say, my way. See, God can, in fact, be angry with you. If you've forgotten that fact, we're here to remind you of it tonight and remind you that it's a central theme in 2 Corinthians 7. It is central to everything else that we need to learn. You can, in fact, be destroyed upon you along the way. You know what I often think about, Pastor? I think about many men who have not made it in the kingdom. Let me just talk about the, the negative here for just a second. I've thought about men who are more talented than me, who are far more intelligent than me, who are far more gifted and anointed, who did not make it in their walk with the Lord. Pastor, I I don't really like this line of discussion. You need to learn to love it. I'm telling you what I personally think regularly. Lord, I remember men who were anointed in every way and they forgot the fear of the Lord and they somehow ended up where they shouldn't. They might have gotten destroyed in their way. Let me make it more personal to us. How many people are not in this room with us who were clearly called and should be in this room with us? The idea that that like a child you can have an all dogs go to heaven and everybody just makes it to the end of their calling ignores that you have to have a fear of the Lord that's working in you. You think the enemy is trying to just let you go along your happy way? No, we know we're at war. What does this war look like? For us, it looks like it's trying to pull us away from the fear of the Lord. You can't walk away from your calling. Well, let me rephrase that. You can walk away from your calling. We're calling you not to tonight. You can ignore your mezuzah. You can ignore your family. But it's going to harm you. And the way to stay right in the center of God's will is to have the fear of the Lord beginning to burn in your heart. For, For it to be the central part, I have to understand. I can't just keep doing what I want to do and think that He's going to be okay with it. That's not a God. That's not the God we serve. That's some fictitious creation of our own liking. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you. Serve him with fear. Rejoice in him with trembling. Because you're blessed when you actually take refuge in the fear of the Lord. That's what this passage teaches us. Church, we're going to go through some things here now. We're going to walk you through the word in ways that we're going to try to expose. Everyone understands that you should have the fear of the Lord. But have we really considered the alarm that it takes to be able to accomplish this. There's a reason that Paul says you better have alarm. When something is wrong, what happens? The alarm goes off. 
There's something that should be warning you and ringing over and over and over until it gets all of your attention and you do something about it. God is going to help us tonight to understand the fear of the Lord. Turn with us to Genesis chapter 3 as we begin to help you in this process. Church, what you're hearing come from us is a roar. It's a roar that's echoing that lion of the tribe of Judah. It is a call to maintain our focus on the fear of the Lord. This is the pivot point in that chiastic structure. Like pastor said, I've seen many come and go in the kingdom. And many that were much more talented and anointed than I am. Some of the best I've ever seen. What step they missed more than any was this step in godly sorrow of the fear of the Lord. That their own strengths, their own accomplishments, even the gifting of God within them began to bring a complacency that put them to sleep. And they didn't pay attention to the alarm that God was sounding. God would start with small things to get their attention. He would make clear His word of how for them to wake up to their own complacency and pride and even their own version of fear. And they wouldn't heed the call. But those that did are those that have continued to grow in their call. See, we've been looking at worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. Here we're going to read in Genesis 3, we're going to point out something very clear that is a byproduct of worldly sorrow so that we can find the conclusion of how to combat it. Genesis 3.10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Read that again. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Worldly sorrow will produce a fear of exposure. That's the first thing we're really going to attack tonight. A fear of exposure. See, what we see that what Adam is saying here is that he was right when he said, I heard you in the garden. He was right when he said, I was afraid. But really, was it because he was naked? No, he was afraid because he sinned. See, your fear of exposure is because of your sin. It's what you did. You hide because you're in sin. You're not hiding because God is just so good. You're not hiding because His Word is living and active. You're hiding because it's there to judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart revealing the sin that is embedded inside your soul. See, he was hiding. He and his wife were hiding. Not because they were wanting to be transparent. They were not walking in the light in that moment. See, fear that derives itself from worldly sorrow it hides among the trees of the garden. That's exactly what Genesis 3 goes on to say. Well, what does this look like in our life? We hide in the fringe of fellowship. We go stand by the other men and women of God who are much more than what we are at that moment, and we hope that someone doesn't call us out. It may look like this. 
You don't show up to service because you and your wife blew up in an argument. But you tell everyone that the kids weren't feeling well. You don't show up to service because you had some car trouble. But really you were avoiding the exposure of your sin. See, worldly sorrow produces a fear of being exposed. You may sit in a group of disciples. You're participating in discussing the word, the revelations that have come forth from our personal study and from the sermons. But you're hoping, you're dying on the inside that you're not asked any questions about it. Because if that happens, you're going to be exposed. and It'll be evident that you are in sin and it shows up through your shallow answers. You receive the same revelation everybody else did. Everyone else's hearts were cut, but you were hiding behind the trees and maybe you put on a few fig leaves. And when questioned, how is your holiness? You reply with generalities and diversions. How is your holiness? Oh, it's doing great, brother. I'm, I'm listening to every sermon. It's going really good. I'm full of joy in the Holy Ghost. Yeah, it doesn't look like that. I see a fear of exposure. These generalities, these diversions within the topic have to be cut right through to get rid of this fear of exposure. See, worldly sorrow ignores the obvious. The obvious thing that God can see right through your fig leaves of false righteousness. He can see right through the forest of your fringe of fellowship. He knows exactly where you're standing. He knows exactly what condition you're in. But what worldly sorrow does is pretend that God can't see that because you don't want to see that. Tonight, we're on a mission. We're on a mission to get rid of the fear of exposure. Where there is no more hiding in the fringe of fellowship. There's no more hiding behind figs of false righteousness and generalities. Instead, we're going to run to the fear of the Lord that is found in godly sorrow. We're going to run to a point of being transparent and having the Lord circumcise our hearts and being open and honest with the ones that God has put us in our life so that we're not consumed by worldly sorrow that produces death, but instead we're consumed by godly sorrow that produces resurrection life. Do you want resurrection life in your life? Are you willing to run into transparency and walking in the light? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Fear of exposure. When you say phrases inside your own heart, man, I was afraid because I thought that they would surely find out. My sin, I knew that they were going to find it out. Somebody was going to prophesy it to me. We just rather stay away from it or continue to have a barrier of fig leaves between us and the truth. That's not fear of the Lord. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. Say fear of the Lord when you find it. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Come on, we can know what it is to actually fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Because I am actually fearing the Lord, then that causes you to want to reach out and help other people who you see are clearly not that way. What we are is plain to God. Let that sink in just for a second. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. 
What does the fear of the Lord do? It takes away the fear of exposure that you have in your life. The fear of transparency. They're gonna, I'm gonna get disqualified if they know this about me. Man, they may be able to handle this. Perhaps if I frame it in a nicer way, then they'll accept me. No, 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 no. What you are is plain to God. What it should be is becoming through the fear of the Lord. It should be plain to you what you are. And then it will become plain to other people what you are. That is called integrity. That is called walking in the fear of the Lord. That is called trusting in Him because you don't have to fear men. You are fearing the Lord. You should have no fear of exposure. No fear of transparency. No need to be on the fringe. No need to be covered by fig leaves. The fear of the Lord causes you to realize that what you are is plain to God. And it makes you want to be plain and do that exact same thing with everyone around you. Come on, husbands. Come on, wives. We should be able to say anything that we need to say because what we are is plain to our spouse. Do you have fig leaves there in your own house? Fig leaves there in your own bedroom. You're not walking in the fear of the Lord even with ones that you say that you love. <laughs> Psalm 32. Let me, let me read this to you. You don't have to turn there. Verses 3 through 5. When I kept silent... When I wasn't transparent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Why? Because you weren't walking in the right fear of the Lord and he was trying to get your attention. He was trying to say, I am the Lord of all and I'm going to let you feel the weight of what I'm doing because you lack transparency. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Man, somebody in... Houston in August should be able to understand what this passage is talking about. Then I acknowledge my sin to you, Lord. Come on. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave me. You forgave the guilt of my sin. See, fear of the Lord must be at work in us as a product of godly sorrow. Amen. It causes you to actually walk in trust with the Lord. You're no longer afraid that you're going to get disqualified. You know that the very act of transparency causes you to become qualified in the kingdom. You fear the Lord. The Lord knows you. You begin to know yourself and not be deceived. And then you no longer care about exposure because you're walking in transparency. Hey, this is just what I am. I'm not proud of it. I'm telling you I sinned and the Lord is helping me. Here's how he's helping me. That shows that someone is walking in a fear of the Lord. Somebody say fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Turn with us to Genesis chapter 31. Fear of exposure. Fear of transparency is what we were just looking at. Let's see another type of fear here in Genesis 31 and verse 31. Jacob answered Laban. I was afraid. Somebody say, I was afraid. I was afraid. Anybody ever said that phrase? Oh, yeah, of course you have. 
I think we should be honest with ourselves. And even if we've trained our speech, how many times we think this in a day? I was afraid, so I did this. I was afraid, so I made this choice. I was afraid, so I walked over here. I was afraid, so I didn't do that. Jacob answers Laban and says, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. If the first one that we looked at in Genesis 3 was a fear of exposure, then the second fear that we have to deal with if we're going to walk in a fear of the Lord is fear of loss. Fear that you won't have enough. See, I'm not going to have enough, so I better hold on to what I got now. I, I better ration what I have now. No, the Lord gave it to you. No, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to have enough, so I better hold on to this. See, I'm not really going to live now because I'm afraid of what is to come, so I'll just not live now and then not live then either. You're afraid you'll run out. You're afraid the money won't make it. You're afraid the resources will go away. See, pastor, I can't pay full price because I'm not sure if I'll have enough after I pay full price. I'm afraid, pastor. I was afraid, so I didn't pay full price. I wanted to, to save something. I kept something back for myself. When you have the fear of the Lord, you want to give it all because yeah. you're not afraid of anything else. Church, when I moved here to Houston from Austin. We sold a house and for the first time in my adult life, I had actual money in the bank. I actually had money in the bank. I didn't have to worry about if it was going to stretch far enough, if there'd be too much muff for my money. I didn't have to worry about that. I had it in the front end. And I learned that I was still worried about it running out. Come on. Wow. What a wicked heart wow. that I had. I was here wow. at this church and I was counting my dollars. I was like, well, we better, we better reserve. We better, I don't know if we can give an offering that big yet because I don't know how, ah, ah, ah. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me is I was walking in the fear of loss. I was not walking in the fear of the Lord until he rebuked me and corrected my heart. And I went, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I was in prayer one day and I said, so when I don't have enough money to make it through the month, I'm worried. When I do have enough money to make it through the month, I'm still worried. So money wasn't the issue. My fearful heart was the issue. Yeah. How many months can I go on this? What a ridiculous way for us to live, and yet most of us live there. Even when God has provided for you, you're still worried about it running out. Am I the only one in this house? No. How about this? Maybe you're not afraid that it, you won't have enough. You're afraid you won't be able to get what you need when you need it. So, Pastor, I don't really dream... I don't really reach out to try to be, have bold faith here. I, I know you talk about a fiery faith. I know you talk about a bold faith, but I really can't do that because I may not have what I need at some point in the future. What a fearful, fearful bunch of sheep we really are. <laughs> what about this? What I have may be taken away from me. Isn't that uh, Jacob's issue with Laban? I thought you were going to come and take my daughters away by force. It causes us to accuse God of wrong. Yeah. It causes us 
like what Job says, to discredit his justice, to condemn him to justify how we're feeling. Come on now. See, a faithlessness is produced in us when we have a greater fear of Laban, of loss, of the things that are going on in our life than we have a fear of the Lord. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. I've never seen it. No matter how many times God works in your life, if you're walking in fear, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you're still afraid it's not going to make it. I know he did it for me the last 72,000 times in a row. But this time, he may fail me. I know he's done it for me over and over and over and over and over again. But see, I'm not really walking in the fear of the Lord because I'm still walking in a fear of loss. What if I don't have what I need? What if I can't do it? With that kind of attitude, even when you do have what you need, it's still not enough for you, is it? No matter how much money you get in your pocket, it's never enough to take away that fear. The only thing that takes that fear away is the fear of the Lord. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. You know, Pastor, I can't help but jump in on this one. This is Laban and Jacob's relationship. Jacob is consumed with a fear of loss. So I want to say publicly that uh, Gabriel Sutherland, I do not plan on taking my daughter back once I give her to you in marriage. (laughs) Amen. There is no fear of loss. But what pastor is so keenly putting his finger on is that the fear of loss is insatiable. It can never have enough to satisfy its desire. Well, he's covered finances. He's covered health. You can name just about any area that's out there. We see it in our children, and we definitely see it in ourselves. But there is a solution to getting rid of this fear of loss and replacing it with the fear of the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. Come on, starting with that introspection, whatever was to my profit, what benefited me in my talents, my strength, my life, I now consider loss. And not just any kind of loss, a loss for the sake of Christ. Come on, this is returning to that godly sorrow that says, I will speedily do whatever action that you tell me to do. Love your righteousness so I can hate wickedness and be in a place where I fear you more than any loss that I could ever endure. My king is worth my loss. And there is no price too high to pay to fear and love him. None. What is more, I consider everything. Everybody say everything. Everything. See, he extended beyond just what was beneficial to him. It is everything about his life as a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I mentioned earlier about giving my daughter away less than, was it 30 days from now? Yeah. For 18 years, 
Her mother and I have poured our lives into her to raise her up for this very moment. And when compared to Christ inside of her and building a lineage, it is not a loss for me at all. It is a gain in every way. This is what we were born for. And to obtain Christ himself is even greater than any possession that I have. And that includes my family. To possess him is the foundation by which my family finds value. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. That's why it's not hard for me to give away my daughter. I never had her in my sole possession in the first place. We fought for three and a half years to have children, and she was the first that came out. And I knew that it wasn't my power or strength that did it. I knew it was God's. And from the moment that we had her in our arms, she belonged to him the whole time. And it was a gift that I would possess, and I knew that I would have to give away. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Faith is trust grounded obedience. When God says to give it up, you give it up. When God says to burn it, you burn it. When God says to sacrifice, you sacrifice it immediately. It's his anyway. and is a demonstration on your part about trust grounded obedience. I want to give you a key, a key to the fear of the Lord. When you lose it all in him, it will cure the fear of loss in you. When you lose it all in him, it will cure the fear of loss in you. See, godly sorrow removes that insatiable desire. It removes that quest for more that will never satisfy. Godly sorrow will produce in us a fear of the Lord that is satisfied in all circumstances. That my circumstances do not dictate my comfort. My circumstances do not dictate my joy. It doesn't dictate the will of God being favorable in my life or not. I know that I'm standing in the fear of the Lord, which means I am satisfied in all situations. It doesn't matter if a tire falls off of your truck while you're going up a bridge back from Mexico. As you're talking to your disciples about enduring struggles on the mission field. And then someone has to jump out the truck and go catch the tire because it's coming back at you. You're on the incline of the bridge. And then you spend, I don't know, the next eight hours in an IHOP with full of drunk people. And demonstrating the fear of the Lord as you stand up and boldly proclaim the gospel to someone who's being vulgar. Then getting home and taking care of your kids and going to work. See, it's the fear of the Lord in those circumstances that we were able to stand and say, our God is with us. There is no loss. We lost a tire, but you know what we never lost? Our trust in the living God. Fear of the Lord will produce a trust-grounded obedience in you that is always satisfied, and it relies upon being totally dependent. Say that. Totally. Totally. 
dependent. Dependent. Say it again. Totally. Totally. Dependent on the Lord. This is that key that unlocks it. But I want to share with you another kind of fear that we need to take care of. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Man, are you guys hearing what pastor's saying to you here? You can tell how much you're walking in the fear of the Lord by how much you're actually dependent upon Him. When you're dependent on the next paycheck, then you're really not as dependent upon the Lord as what you thought. You're not walking in the fear of the Lord the way that we are compelling you to on this evening. Your provision is not from your paycheck. Your provision is not from the strength of your own arm. Your provision is not from what you can achieve. It is from God Himself. And for you to think anything differently shows that we have an area to grow in in fear of the Lord on this evening with this group of people. Yeah. 1 Samuel 15, verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Check. I have violated the Lord's command. Check. And your instructions. True. Check. I was afraid. Check. Of the people. Ah, wrong. And so I gave in to them. See, he was right in all of those declarations. And up to a point, it could look like godly sorrow was at work inside Saul. He showed all the signs. I mean, he did prophesy. He was changed into a new man. He was anointed king of Israel. It definitely looks like godly sorrow is at work. Have these same things come out of your mouth? I have sinned. I violate the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid. Seems like an open transparency there. Except... What he goes to is right to the fear of man. That's the next fear that we're going to cover. The fear of man. See, he says, I was afraid of the people, and I gave in to them. Well, yes, he might have been afraid of the people, but it was a blame shift that was going on. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And he was looking at what the people were doing to put pressure on him. And he chose to side with pleasing man rather than pleasing God. It's a statement that looks something like this. If only these people weren't around to put pressure on me, then I could rightly walk before the Lord. If only I weren't surrounded by this particular person, I could be free of sin. I could uphold God's commands. I could follow my pastor's instructions. But keep giving in to this fear of man. Oh, trust me, it's not their fault. It's yours. It's your desire to uphold your image in front of them. What you look like and what you can accomplish. See, the fear of man makes obeying God's commands optional. The fear of man makes following your leaders, your pastors, your elders optional. I hear what you're saying, Pastor. You guys, man, y'all preach some awesome sermons, some great teaching, manna from heaven coming down. But I don't want to actually change this area of my life. I don't know how the people around me will react if I put into practice everything that you guys told me. I mean, all these other areas, I'm doing good at. I haven't sinned. I haven't violated God's commands. But if I touch this area, I don't know what they're going to think. I don't know what I'm going to think about me. Are you faithful 
to God's commands until you're around certain family members? Come on, he mentioned earlier about integrity. Having that uprightness when no one else is looking. Are you faithful to God's commands until you're with those friends? Do things change? Do the commands of God become optional? See, godly alarm seeks to destroy the fear of man and enable you to trust that God can help you walk rightly. It can help you ahead of time develop deep convictions that will stand on those convictions when you're around family members. That will stand on those deep convictions when you're around friends. That stand on those deep convictions when you're under pressure and you feel like you have to comply to what everybody wants you to do and secretly what you want to do as well. See, godly, or the godly fear, the fear of the Lord, produced from godly sorrow, it will produce in you what is right to overcome this fear of man. Let's turn to Luke 12 to see what that exactly is. Luke 12 and verse 4. Luke 12, 4 says this. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. And after that, they can do, they can do no more. That's kind of funny to me. Like after they kill you, then they're done. Well, yes. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the, of the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's the one that you're supposed to fear. If you're not even supposed to be afraid of people who can actually kill you. They can actually, if even when they can succeed in killing you, you're not supposed to be afraid. How much less should you be worried about them with what they say? With what they think? With how they yeah. can maybe create difficulty in your life? If death is not supposed to be, make you afraid of these people. You're supposed to be afraid. You're supposed to have a fear of the Lord. This is Jesus telling us to fear Him. To fear God Himself. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. Wow, it's almost like the Word of God understands us very, very well. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Come on now, how's your trust tonight, church? Are you trusting in the Lord or are you afraid of man? Do you have a fear of the Lord or are you afraid of those around you? Because when you trust in the Lord, you're going to be kept safe. Like the name of the Lord is a strong tower and those, the righteous that run to it will be kept safe when you run and take refuge in Him. Let's keep going in, in Luke 12. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Jesus just tells you not to be afraid of men who can kill you, but be afraid of the one who can finally and put judgment on you and sentence you to hell. And then he begins to speak about sparrows. What an interesting segue. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. See, now that you've been reminded of the fear of the Lord, Jesus continues to explain to you not to be afraid of men. If He has the capacity to care for sparrows, if He has the capacity Amen. to count the numbers of hair on your head, then He surely has the capacity to care for you and take care of you. The sparrows don't fret. 
Because they trust in the Lord. They are completely dependent upon Him and they have no illusion that they're dependent upon anything else. They have no fear of man. We must fear the Lord tonight, church. Turn with me to Matthew 25 as we come to our final fear here. Fear of exposure, fear of loss, fear of man. So I was afraid, Matthew 25 and verse 25. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Well, thank you very much, you wicked and lazy servant. I was afraid. See, see what had happened was I had a fear of failure that was creating a problem in my life. All of the excuses of the wicked servant couldn't overcome the blatant fear that he demonstrated. The fear of failure causes you to become paralyzed. Church, look up at me for a second. Fear of failure paralyzes you. It causes you to be foggy when you're trying to make a decision. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know which way to go. Uh, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to get in the Word. You're supposed to have a fear of the Lord. Yes. And God will make clear His will to you. Yes. It'll teach you how to be wise. It'll teach you how to walk Amen. in knowledge. It'll teach you how to have a long life and how to avoid evil. When you're foggy constantly in your decisions... You have a fear of failure that is gripping you, that is overwhelming you. I wish this were just off of a list that we found somewhere. This is exactly who and what the Lord gave us for you tonight. Fear of failure. You get foggy on every decision. Why? Because you're trying to not mess up. There's no faith being operated in your life. You're just trying not to screw something up. That's a fear of failure. Man, what if I make the wrong decision? You've already made the wrong decision because you're doing it in fear. Come on. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You think you got the technical part right? You did it out of fear. Have some faith. Have some fear of the Lord about you that causes you to cry out to Him and He will speak to you. Fear of failure makes you full of excuses. Here are the 17 reasons. Here are the 17 excuses before I even get started as to that will explain to you why I might mess up in 20 minutes. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. When you come up and be like, hey, let me explain to you, Pastor, these, these, these 14 reasons why it's probably not going to be okay, even though, huh, huh, huh. Calm down. Quit walking in fear of failure. Rise up and actually start walking in fear of the Lord. People are handicapped in this church, being handcuffed by their own fear. Of imaginary failure. Yes. That's a good word. It's not even there. You're worried about things that none of the rest of us are worried about. What ifs. All the what ifs that you can imagine. Come on, church. 
don't get mad at me. I, I have this reason why it didn't work out well. Stop it. You've already failed. We want you to succeed. In extreme cases in this room, not some other room, maybe for you who are watching as well, you start sabotaging yourself. The extreme fear of failure makes you start to sabotage yourself before you even get started. Because at least you're in control of your failure. What? You're so afraid that you're going to fail that you give yourself the out before you get started. Before you really try. Before you actually care about the outcome. You've already decided you're going to fail, so you just go ahead and sabotage it. Because of your fear, you may go out, but you end up hiding your talent. And you offer that to the Lord and saying, this is what belongs to you, Lord. This is what he deserves from your life. Church, look at me. Fear of exposure. We've got that here. Fear of loss. Absolutely. Fear of men. Definitely. But can I tell you that I think our number one issue as a church right this minute is a fear of failure. I can't even try, Pastor. I'm pretty sure I can't even speak to you rightly. We, we get, I can't handle it. Why? Because I'm afraid I'm going to fail. Then my dear friend, you already have. You have to walk in the fear of the Lord. Pastor, help us out. Show us what it's like to walk in the fear of the Lord in this case. You guys want to know how to deal with this? Be successful? Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Say, fear the Lord whenever you get there. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You see, how the church of Philippi was commended for growing. Come on, you, you've always obeyed. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. There was a level of faithfulness. There was a level, level of being trustworthy. That he didn't have to hold their hand every day at all times in order for them to walk rightly in the fear of the Lord. They grew up. And by possessing the fear of the Lord, they were able to conquer this fear of failure. If I don't have my pastor right by beside me at all times, I'm not sure if I'll make it in the kingdom. Well, I expect that when somebody first gets born again, but also I expect someone to grow out of that. There comes a point when you are denying yourself, you are taking up your cross, and you are following your king. And we're there strengthening, encouraging you but not having to do it for you. See, in this, inside the church of Philippi, is that there is something to celebrate. That godly sorrow is at work, and it's producing in them a fear of the Lord that's conquering this fear of failure. This particular aspect is something that I deal with. You know how many times I've gotten on this stage and begin to share a message, and I become paralyzed? It may have looked like it was kind of blacked out and I needed a cookie for my diabetes or something. But I know exactly what it's like 
To be standing in the call that God has designed you to function in. And all of a sudden, a fear of failure grips you to the point where you can't even speak. I was four or five years old. I was brought to a speech therapist because I had a stutter. And from the age of four to about seven, I didn't know how to conquer it. But the minute that I was born again, all of that changed. I begin to learn about the fear of the Lord. And what you see in me right now as I'm speaking on this microphone is an ever-present sign that the fear of the Lord can conquer the fear of failure. And I will do it again and again and again and again. And if God can do it in me, I know He can do it inside of you. But you have to surrender that fear of failure to the feet of our King. Let the lion of the tribe of Judah roar over it and produce in you a fear of the Lord that conquers it. He goes on to tell them, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See, godly sorrow produces in you the fear of the Lord that is constantly growing in its ability to walk in the trust, grounded obedience found in the fear of the Lord. With every single person in this room, there is more to go and there is more to grow. That the fear of failure will not, in the name of Jesus, keep you from moving forward and developing and maturing. The fear of failure will not keep you from growing in your call and what God has designed you to do. We're going to hold up your arms. We're going to kick you in the rear end. We're going to grab you by the shirt and pull you forward. We are here to make sure that you become mature and complete and not lacking any good thing. Church, when you walk in the fear of the Lord, you're able to overcome every other fear. No other fear even matters to you anymore. A singular focus in the fear of the Lord is the way to overcome your fear of failure. Megan, would you put up John 15, 5 on the screen for me, please? I am the vine. You are the branches. Come on. This is telling you your position, church. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can't do anything. Yes, I acknowledge it. When I am separated from I can't do anything right. But when I'm connected to Him, when I stay in Him, when I'm walking in the fear of the Lord, I can produce much fruit. I can do this. Why? Because I'm found in Him. I'm not letting fear separate me from Him. I am walking in the fear of the Lord. I am dancing in the fear of the Lord. Why? Because it's inside. He says, you remain in me and I will in fact remain in you. If you walk in the fear of the Lord, His power will enable you. No fear of loss. No fear of exposure. No fear of failure can overcome you. This is the answer, church. We walk in fear and we call it a bunch of other things. My God, think about this, this progression in 2 Corinthians 7. What happens? You start with earnestness. You move your heart directed towards the bullseye of what God has for you. Then your actions are full of eagerness. Then you begin to hate sin. And then what happens? You're standing there and you're going, my God, he, he was there the whole time to help me. I was letting fear dominate me in every area of my life. With my wife, with my kids, with my future, 
with my direction. I was afraid of so many things and it just took me away from the Lord. Tonight, church, you have the solution. You have the point. You have the key. You have the answer. It's the fear of the Lord. Come on. When you realize that He could have done away with you and yet you're still here. There's got to be a reason for that. He's trying to help you so that you will walk in the fear of the Lord. Amen. That you can do exactly what this is. But you've got to get over your fear. Amen. My God, you're in a place that can make men out of little boys. They can make godly women out of little girls. And you're afraid. You've got to stop. You've got to actually have the fear of the Lord that is birthed inside of you. And you hang on to that because no other fear can come close to that one. I've already lost it all. I ain't got nothing left. I'm not afraid of loss. He sees me exactly as I am. I'm not afraid of exposure. I'm definitely not afraid of man because all he could do to me is take my life. That's it. Then they're done. That's the worst. Is that the best you could do? No, that's the worst they can do. And it still doesn't matter. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid to fail. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to be men and women who allow failure to rule your life anymore. The fear of failure. What happens if they know that I've been in an argument with it with my wife? You're going to start walking in the fear of the Lord and He's going to help you through it. Megan, would you put up Isaiah 33 and verse 6, please? That's it. Isaiah 33, 6. He will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. What the word of God is giving, what we are giving you tonight is a key to this treasure of our salvation. This key to unlock and dismantle and destroy every other fear other than the fear of the Lord. That to possess the fear of the Lord is a direct byproduct of godly sorrow. It empowers you. But there's a footnote that we want to share with you guys that expounds upon this even more. The footnote says this. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is a treasure from Him. The fear of the Lord is a treasure from the Lord Himself to you. He's given you the key. He's given you the point. You have to walk in it. You have to stop walking in your own fear. You have to stop walking in every other type of fear except for the fear of the Lord. You have to walk in the fear of the Lord. That will produce a trust-grounded obedience in you. It will produce a dependency. Can you put up that last slide for us? Your earnestness and eagerness as you begin to humble yourself. As you start in one place and you say, earnestness. Now I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. Now I'm developing a hatred for sin. And I've got to come down to the lowest point that I can so I can actually operate in a fear of the Lord. I don't have anywhere else to go. 
I don't have anything else that I can do. He has given me the key. It is a treasure. I've got to fear Him above all else. I've got to have the alarm that's going off inside my soul that says, I've got to humble myself. I've got to be completely dependent upon Him. I have to fear the Lord. Church, we have to fear the Lord. You don't need to fear man. You don't need to fear exposure because you're being transparent. My God, why are you trying to fear loss? You already lost it all anyway. And for my family here, you have to stay away. You have to run away. You have to walk down the steps that we're seeing here because this is what brings salvation and it's leading you. It brings repentance and it's leading you to salvation. God, help us tonight. We spend way too much of our time fearing everything else but Him. I'm afraid that I can't do it. I'm afraid that it won't happen. I'm afraid that He loves maybe somebody else just more than me. I'm afraid that I can't do it. And God is saying, you fear me and I will make it happen in you. This is the key. It's the answer. It's the solution. It's the point of everything that we've been talking about for the last three sermons to get us here. That you would humble yourself and become completely dependent upon Him. I got nothing else. I've lost it all. I gave it away. I willfully did that. For the men and the women in this room who can choose to walk in the fear of the Lord. Your life will be revolutionized tonight. The fears that have gripped you your whole stinking life can be over right now. Stand to your feet with us. Church, now is the time. Now is the time to break the cycles of fear. Now it's the time to put to rest at this altar the fears that have held you in slavery and be filled with the fear of God that set you free. Let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling tonight that we may stand up and be full of the fear of the Lord. Jesus, we surrender to you now. Lord, every stronghold every ounce of fear other than the fear of you. We ask, we cry, Lord, save us. Save us, mighty God. Save us with your right hand that delivers us from these fears, that we may conquer them through you. May your word come alive. May your spirit guide us. Lord, in seeing these areas, that blinders fall off tonight in the name of Jesus that we see ourselves rightly before you, that we may be cleansed, that we may be washed, and that we may be empowered. Holy Spirit, come now and deal with our hearts at this altar, that we may be transformed and changed into you.